0: This Ticker podcast is coming to you from the Citadel Securities Trading Post on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange.
1: Hi, everybody. In an era when algorithms do most of the buying and selling of stock, this place is one of the few places left where human interaction and judgment still play a role in the exchange process. Today, we'll follow that theme it's hard to ignore the barrage of high-tech tools aimed at IROs these days. But while technology has certainly forever changed how the investor relations sausage gets made, the fact remains, human interaction still is, and most likely will remain, the bread and butter of the investor relations job. On today's program, planning your most successful investor day ever. The biggest thing is to really plan ahead. You know talk to your management team
0: get the buy-in make sure everyone's on the same page i'll get face to
1: face with an investor day expert and accelerating your ir strategy the auto and truck supply chain Uh, talking about the companies that make component parts or sell or rent or repair or anything else in the supply chain, that sector is shifting into what many see as a period of perfect storm conditions. And all of it is picking up a pile of debt in the marketplace. Our first guest says it's time to push the pedal on proactive IR. Most of these worries were overblown. In some cases,
2: in conflict with how those same factors were being reflected
1: in the overall market. Counter messaging that cuts through the noise of the pack. That's up first on your Ticker podcast. And I promise, no more puns. I I ought to know better. I don't want to drive you crazy. Seriously, besides, I'm getting tired of them. Bobby Winters knows what drives Wall Street. A former analyst and portfolio manager, he's seen it from both sides. He knows small caps, he knows emerging markets, fixed income, metals, mining, materials, science, energy. And the poly-talented history grad also knows America's automotive business. Winters now works out of consulting firm Alpha IR Group's New York office. And he's penned a white paper on how IROs can actually take advantage of current uncertainty around the auto and truck sector. He dropped by the Citadel Securities Post to explain how.
3: Bobby, you've talked to plenty of people on the street and you've detected a lot of investor angst over apparent headwinds uh, facing car and truck suppliers. But you think a lot of those fears are overblown. Maybe we can start with the perception of and impact of potential trade wars. Sure. So, that of of the many issues we
2: covered in in the uh, report we put together and put out, I would say that is the one that's actually the most real in terms of um, or the highest on the list of a worry level that could actually have an impact. Having said that, um, there are offsetting factors to some of those. Um, and part of this is the moving target. So first we look at the level of potential tariffs. and. Whether or not they'll actually be fully ma- implemented over time, we want to look at them in the context of the size of the market, the industry and the economy and the potential impact there. And in that case, when we looked at the potential impact of those, uh, relative to the size of trade between the US and China, relative to trade in the US and Europe, other major economies of the world. Um, and other potential offsetting factors, if that's uh, merely viewed as a cost, um, what are other factors um, that are happening that could offset that? Not just specific to the sector, but specific to the economy, so it, because at the end of the day, demand for autos is affected by a lot of things uh, that take place in the economy. Here, we wanted to remind IROs to remind their own, either existing investors or potential investors, to look at things like the size of the tax cuts, having an impact on both personal tax uh, cuts and corporate. And the still, in our opinion, yet to be fully, uh, the effect of that is yet to fully be manifested through the economy. So there's a tailwind effect to that, which is having some effect on the economy yet, but is not yet likely played its way through the U.S. economy.
3: So, so the, the threat of trade wars is offset by the uh, strength of the economy, potentially, and or potentially even
2: more than offset. And so again, looking at the size of those potential costs, and again, they impact certain industries more than others. So there's no doubt there's a reason why, uh, in investors' minds, uh, industries like the automotive companies and the auto suppliers are at the top of that list because the relative content. Um, obvi- if you look at healthcare or you look at the pharmaceutical industry, you you argue to find uh, hard pressed to find any impacts because steel and aluminum are not generally involved there as a cost item. Okay. Obviously in the auto case, the auto parts, the auto auto companies, they are. The content of steel in automobiles, the growing content of aluminum, those are factors. So our point is not really to be dismissive of the concern or the question. It's actually more to gauge it relative to the broader um, events, tailwinds or headwinds that may be going on in the economy that affect overall levels of demand for cars um, in the U.S. and in other parts of the world, and also the ability to pass on
3: some of those costs over time. So what's the message to IROs then? Faced with that argument, what are they, what's the counter argument? Well, on that specific
2: issue, yeah. which is only it is one factor in looking at and analyzing these companies and looking at what's going on with them currently, but going forward. 'Cause again there is a lot of, of rhetoric right now around around these uh, around trade. And we don't really know how this is going to play out looking out six months from now, twelve months, or even several years. So there's a question of is it as a temporary cost that it will either go away relatively quickly or the ability to be passed on, or is there a major structural change underway? that will cause large supply change uh, adaptation, changes in the future as a result of these trade actions. That would obviously be something much larger to be that needs to be factored in. Uh, we don't think we're there yet. We don't think it's likely that we're going to be headed there. Uh, but again, on this specific issue, our point is really that the potential costs of this need to be balanced against other what we see as tailwinds positive factors that are present currently and may be present going forward
3: for this sector? Maybe. Okay, one thing we do have um, a, a bit of forward vision on is the fact of electric vehicles. Sure. Likely inevitable. When? Maybe not so much. Right. So here um
2: i think everyone is in agreement i think everyone in the automotive um business the automotive supply business is not only in agreement that electric vehicle um, uh, demand um, is going to be substantial going forward uh, but that that is a big part of the future they're also all most of all of them are positioning themselves for that so that's another so the idea is electric vehicles um is not for many of these companies, actually the suppliers in particular, is not so much a risk as is, is is just as much as an opportunity. Okay? And many of them are investing as heavily um, in that side of their business as they are in the, in, the uh, traditional historic internal combustion engine side of their business, and in between, you know, to hybrid vehicles and engine, uh, and then other other things on that spectrum. So our point there is that uh, electric vehicles, one, we're starting from still such a low base that even at very high growth rates, looking out five to 10 years, you're still, a a vast majority of the cars in the US and in the world are still going to be built with an internal combustion engine or an internal combustion engine plus something in that, and so we, you know, and and for the growth of the electric vehicle side and the technology implementation there, that is the automotive suppliers and the OEMs. Frankly, are
3: going to be players
2: in that as well.
3: Okay. Uh, interest rates, mm-hmm. major investor jitters. Combine that with deadbeat car buyers. What is an IRO to do about that?
2: Well, there, I mean, that's one of the ones we kind of, um, I would say, we find that um, interesting from several respects in how that is transposed as a worry on this sector right now, more so than, let's say, the overall market. Okay. Um, Interest rates have been being raised by the Fed, but we're still dealing with historic low interest rates. Um, When you look at automotive demand historically, it is really things that are in terms of employment levels, consumer sentiment, income levels. Those historically tend to be the factors that are more associated um, as an indicator with automotive demand bubbles, not specifically
3: interest rates. Recession worries. Mm-hmm. Investors will act like economists. Boy, we've been expecting a recession for the last X amount of years now. Those presumably those worries are, are growing. Uh, you kind of touched on it at a moment, but, but what's the counter argument? To that argument that you know a recession is just around the corner. here again, you know, our our um, our message, our advice,
2: is not necessarily to engage in a in an economic forecasting game against the market or against investors um, and analysts. Um, but it again is to point to to factors um, and things. So when you look at You know, leading economic indicators, other things that are associated with recessions, you know, or tend to, you know, tend to start to break down ahead of. We don't really see those by and large right now, flashing yellow or even red, let alone yellow. Um, Part of the challenge, the problem is, is that this economic cycle has been going on a long time. And the stock market from the, the, the awful lows of 0809, has been going up um, for a long time. Unevenly, but nonetheless, it's obviously been going up. So it's partly that the duration of that almost feels to people like we should, like that we're due. Yeah. And our view, our point on that is not necessarily to eliminate... Uh, that there is something that uh, an IRO or a company can do to eliminate that worry. I, our point is that you can point to indicators, okay, that are are at least perceived to be, you know, reliable gauges of the current state of the economy. And most of those do not indicate that a recession is imminent. It doesn't mean that one couldn't happen. There's always a chance for different surprises and things like that uh, to happen. So it's it's merely again those things like consumer sentiment, like employment levels, like uh, income growth, um, and then you know even things within the credit area of the automotive sector specifically because that has been an area where people have elevated some concerns um it's not completely benign but it's also not something when you look at it historically that is flashing a run for the hills run away Mm -hmm. Um, and i would add one additional which is that within this set of worries we just discussed what we do think is being lost is that these companies are managed differently than they are in the past. They are allocating capital to us in better, more proactive ways to, to try and create shareholder value. And that is something that we think is right now kind of being pushed you know, aside as being overwhelmed by these concerns.
3: Fair enough. To wrap up. You point out that there's one thing that an IRL should not do, and that's just stand back, assume everything's going to be okay. Well, I, I, the advice to be proactive is to really
2: that to try and help fill the void here, if, if, if that's the right term, that is created somewhat by these worries. Okay and our belief is that alongside these worries there's also the fundamental changes that are happening on Wall Street uh, both from the sell side and the buy side structural changes that are underway Um, and that we believe that this is not just for this industry but you know in this specific example we think it's an opportunity for the uh, IRO professionals to help fill what we view as, one, a little bit of an information uh, gap. It is a bit of a pushback on that narrative, but we view it from the standpoint of really to sort of proactively engage on these specific issues, on these specific worries, because we can identify them. We know what these worries are. Um, we We don't have to go and guess and find them. But each of them can be addressed, okay, um, individually and then collectively. And we think that that opportunity then has a chance to bring potentially um, either keep um, existing investors in the stocks, but more importantly, to bring other investors either to or back to the sector. Um, and, you know, that's the, the investment game and outperformance really particularly when it comes to active money management um, which is who you're engaging with here the reality is is that true outperformance comes from uncertain uh, periods of uncertainty so we think that this is an opportunity for the iros to help provide information to um,
3: to strengthen the conviction of investors to step back into the, into the group. And those who do that will be the ones that successfully separate their companies from the crowd? Presumably, if
2: what we see as um, underlying strength for the sectors and that the, the perceived clouds on the horizon Um, are not recessionary storm clouds or um, you know something more significant that they are mostly either in passing or actually not as, as significant to the group as the market seems to be perceiving them to be right now
3: then that's the potential. Bobby Winters, Senior Managing Director and General Manager of Alpha IR Group in New York City. Thanks for stopping by today. Thank you for having me.
1: When it comes to really effective investor relations, nothing beats the old one on one with senior management. But those opportunities are limited. After all, management has a company to run. So when it comes to efficient use of FaceTime, that leaves sponsored conferences and a company's own analyst investor day. And of those two, research shows investor days have six times the price impact of mere conference presentations. In fact, investor days can be one of an IR program's highest return investments. Can be. They can also be dreary, useless, time-sucking duds. So how do you ensure the former? Well, a pretty good starting point might be to ask investors what they want. Which is precisely what my next guest has done. Thang Toh is Vice President and Director of IR at Corbin Advisors. Corbin polled more than 250 global financial professionals on the topic of investor days. And Thang joins us at the Citadel Post to tell us what they said. Fang, there's
3: lots of how-to guides out there on planning investor days, but you took it a step further than usual. You went out and got it from the horse's mouth. Let me ask you, did anything in your research findings really kind of jump out at you, surprise you, stand out as something you weren't expecting?
0: Sure. Uh, one surprise in this age of you know, everything being digital is that investors really want to have a printout and a handout of the investor presentation during Investor Day so that they can take their notes. And you know, old school people like me really uh, leverage that handout and, and refer to it in the future when you know, we, we think about, OK, what exactly did they say about their strategy? And we have our notes you know, on that page, which, which helps a lot in the future.
3: In this paperless world, paper is, uh, still has a place. Exactly. What can really ruin an investor day? What'll mess things up and, and put an IRO's career in risk?
0: Sure. I, I think the biggest thing is failing to properly prepare for the investor day. You know, we recommend starting about six months in advance. And that includes, you know, finding the right venue, making sure you have to uh, invite the right people in terms of prospects, you know, current investors, sell side, and that's both covering and non-covering. You want to make sure the credit, you know, rating agencies are invited. Your bankers.
3: The question of inviting journalists to investor days: Should you invite journalists or, or not? Yeah. Well, honestly, it depends on
0: your capacity, right? If there's, if you have space, um, I I think that's perfectly fine to invite um, journalists. But if you only have 50 people and there's 60 investors that want to attend, I say, you know, you, you have to favor the investors over the uh, journalists. The, the objectives of an investor day should be to, one, broadly educate the investment community on your company, investment thesis, and long-term strategy. Number two, include updates on progress toward operational and financial goals. Number three, address any potential misperceptions that may be out there in the marketplace. Number four, showcase management, and that includes you know, leadership beyond the C-suite. Mm-hmm. And number five is to provide a compelling view of your company as a differentiated investment. You want to make sure they understand your long-term strategy and to have their, all their questions answered. You, know, you, you asked a question before about you know, typical mistakes in investor day. And, and one is that uh, companies don't have enough time set aside to answer questions. They may cut the Q and A short, and that leaves investors frustrated because they made a huge effort to attend your event and they didn't get the questions um, and they didn't get their questions answered. And the biggest mistake uh, a company can make is to have investors leave with more questions than
3: answers. One. Thing your survey uncovered was that in terms of Q and A's, they preferred investors preferred after kind of each breakout session. Yeah, they, when we talk
0: to investors, they typically like multiple Q and A sessions. So what we recommend is q and A Q&A, one in the morning and one to to end the up and one to end the day. Location. Let's talk about that. Sure. Uh, they like NYC. Yes, they do. So so the vast majority of investors tell us that. You know, New York City and specifically Midtown New York is is the you know top choice, uh, along with company headquarters or facilities. If there's something to highlight, for example, you know a a special technology or uh, a strong manufacturing process or a. Uh, customer learning center. You know, if there's something special about the location, then they'd like to see that. Otherwise, uh, Midtown New York is is just convenient for
3: everyone. And one place where they don't like it is where we're sitting now. (laughs) They're not keen on coming down to an exchange for a investor day. How come?
0: Sure, there's um, two reasons that they typically say they don't like the New York Stock Exchange. One is just a matter of convenience. For a lot of investors that are in Midtown, New York, it's just a lot easier for them to, you know, walk down the street and take a train downtown. And another is the heightened security at the New York Stock Exchange. For for example, this morning, you know, it took us a good 15 minutes to get in the door, um, so investors get a little frustrated with that. But you know, the New York Stock Exchange isn't all bad. You know, a lot of our clients have events here because it's such a great venue. For companies that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange, it's a free venue. They save on cost, which is obviously an important consideration.
3: Getting into the weeds here, you look at uh, you asked investors classroom versus theater-style seating. And there's a different preference there. Yeah, investors tell us that they prefer classroom seating.
0: It's they're there to learn. It's a it's an educational day. It just makes things a lot more convenient in terms of being able to take notes. Being able to, you know, um, talk to the management team and, and move around afterwards.
3: Unless one of the Chutchie's you hand out is a clipboard, maybe maybe they'll be happier with uh, sitting in a comfy uh, theater seat. Let's talk about Chutchie's.
0: I mean, uh, I'd say 96% of the investors we talk to say that giveaways are unnecessary, um, and actually 20% actually discourage the practice. You want to understand that it's it's investors' money. So, you know, they're hesitant to give away things that are necessary. And secondly, you know, a lot of people are traveling. So large, large items just aren't just aren't travel friendly. So we would recommend giving away a USB with the investor day presentation, as well as other uh, important documents, for example, annual report or most recent you know, earnings deck, things that are helpful for the investor. Timing and length. Sure. So most investors prefer an early morning start. There are some investors that like an afternoon start because they're able to fly in and out the same day. But we recommend starting early in the morning because if you start in the afternoon, you run the risk of you know having locals go into the office and then, you know, getting caught up in work and other news events, and that could hurt your attendance because things come up at in the office as you know and you know we have seen it happen where you where you lose a large percentage of your audience just because there's there's a big news event for the day or you know they, they get requests from clients and, and and or they get a vest from clients
3: or their bosses and they're unable to make the event. You your your research uncovered actual days, days of the week that better are better for investors.
0: Midweek is generally preferred. For example, you know, Wednesdays and Thursdays are the best days to have investor days. With you know, Friday. Why is that? It's just um, in terms of you know people's vacation, travels, meetings. You know, if you're going to have an event on Monday, you know, out of towners uh, would have to fly in over the weekend. If you're having an event on a Friday, you know, people have to fly fly out late Friday night. they're they're not too happy about that. Midweek days are are the best for investor days. You know, one of the big draws of an investor day is access to the management team. And sometimes during Q&A session, when investors and analysts are asking questions, the only one answering the question is the CEO. And he's dominating, he or she is dominating the conversation. And so investors walk away with a sense of, wow, like, what about the rest of the management team? Does the CEO not trust them? Like, you know, why can't they talk about the business? Um, So that's something for companies to think about. It's really, you know, plan ahead, do mock Q&A session and get everyone involved. So, you know, we recommend to have the CEO really act as a quarterback during the Q&A session. Maybe he'll make a couple of remarks and then pass it on to the most appropriate, the most appropriate leader uh, that can add, you know, real insight and and show the strength of the bench. Because that's a big, you know, uh, investment criteria when investors are looking at a company. Do I trust this management team with running this company? And, and we mentioned this earlier, you know, there are investor conferences throughout the year and typically, you know, you hear from the CEO and the CFO, but at an Investor Day, you know, the investment community is really uh, looking forward to hearing from the rest of the management team, you know, business segment presidents and, and, and other business leaders that really add valuable insight and, and give investors
3: a deeper understanding of the company and their strategy going forward. Thank Vice President and Director of IR at Corbin Advisors. Thanks for dropping by
1: the post. Thanks, Jeff. It's been great. And that'll do it for your Ticker Podcast this week. My thanks to Citadel Securities for hosting us at their post on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Citadel Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC content of this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Citadel Securities. Hope you'll join us again, same place, next month. Thank you for listening. I'm Jeff Cosset.